Welcome to Tales from the Sass Graveyard. I'm Stephen Chiza. And I'm Jake Adari. Both of us have spent the bulk of our careers working in the technology sector, and in this podcast, we explore what it's like to work at a tech company that is in the SaaS graveyard. What exactly is the SaaS graveyard? Jake and I are interested in the companies in the middle of the bell curve, not going out of business, but definitely not hitting the big time. The SaaS graveyard is a purgatory populated by companies that have made it to annual revenues in the 25 to 50 million range, but they just can't get to the next level. Companies in the SaaS graveyard are zombies, meandering around with arms outstretched, bumping into walls they just can't see. Now, building a $50 million company is actually a pretty impressive thing when you think about it. But in Silicon Valley, where companies have lofty aspirations, anything shy of a unicorn is often seen as a failure. That is really what we're interested in. The disconnect between having dreams of being the next Facebook or Google and the reality of never being acquired for billions or having that IPO. But at the same time, we aren't interested in absolute train wrecks. Working in a SaaS graveyard means that while your options may never be worth enough to buy Bay Area property, at least you are earning a decent paycheck right up until the day you are laid off. We'll be interviewing folks in various roles, such as product design, engineering, and sales, about their experience working at companies like this. We're looking to see what common themes emerge across industries and roles. For this first episode, we'll be talking with our friend Jess, who is a product manager. Jess, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Stephen and Jake. I guess just to kick us off, can you just tell us a little bit about the company you were at in the SaaS graveyard? Yeah, so the company that I was at, I think, is still around, has been around for about 10 years at this point. So I was I was there, I've, I've not been there for about five years, and it was about five years old when I, or you know what I mean, mm-hmm. 10 years. Um, so I would say I would describe this company as the, and this is not um, interesting, but the Salesforce or SFDC of small and medium businesses. So the whole like value proposition of this company was essentially to be able to provide some kind of like customer repository for SMBs to help them sort of maximize customer experience and then thus maximize the revenue by creating like loyalty and, um, you know, a sense of... Um, a sense of loyalty amongst their customers and just so they could like target um, sales, discounts, offerings, etc. And about how big was the company when you joined? It was 14 people when I joined. So I was the 15th person and I was the second woman and I came in like a junior level. And so it was a very interesting structure and dynamic because it was like a super lean startup when I started. And by the time you left, how big was it? I left when it was about 150 people large. So you saw quite a bit of growth while you were there. It grew exponentially while I was there. And it kind of came in fits and starts. Um, the On the sales side, it was very much around like outbound cold calling. So there was a high like turnover and a lot of um, just up and downs and peaks and valleys and sort of the number of salespeople we had at any given point in time based on the essentially like Rolodex we had of SMBs that we could actually call. Um, so there were fluctu- fluctuations in that number, um, but if you even just remove the sales team, there was a massive growth on like the engineering and product side while I was there. Very cool. So where were you in your career when you joined this SaaS graveyard? It was my first job in technology. So I was brand new to this industry and the role that I started, started in. Um, I came from academia and I had my background in um, social psychology, so I had gotten my master's and had decided that I wanted to go into the private sector instead of staying in academics and getting my PhD. And I knew I was really interested in product management um, and just being in that space and being in San Francisco, technology is obviously like the predominating industry here. So it was pretty, there were a lot of opportunities. 
Um, so I left academia, jumped in, started as an analyst actually um, on the product team. And it was, um, I think the expectations I had were, were pretty much nail on the head when it comes to like your traditional super small startup in San Francisco. What were those expectations? Um, from a culture perspective, it was very, um, there were just so many white dudes and it was just like (laughs) real bro-y and just like, it was a lot of like work hard, play hard, this kind of like, you know, no job is too small and people are at the office for 14, 15 hours a day and like really scrappy and, um, also just, so it was like the, the culture side of things definitely like lived up to, I think the like stereotypes around those kinds of like small companies, um, which was, there are positive and negative aspects to that. And then from a like day-to-day job perspective, it was just the, the structure that you put around like your employees in tech is at that size of company, very, very loose. Um, and so it, it was also sort of meeting these expectations that I had around like flexibility and autonomy and sort of just like you do like your role says one thing but you do like n number of other things like anything to like get the company going forward right now the way you started you said it met some of what your expectations were of like a small startup so during the interview process is this what you thought you were getting into I did I the one thing that I didn't the one thing that I, on day one, was just like, oh, I wasn't expecting that, was, like, the the male-female disparity. Even mm. though, like, I, of course, heard about it. Um, I didn't interview with any women, but I was interviewing. I interviewed, like, my boss, the CEO, the COO, and then, like, a few engineers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wasn't getting, like, that much of a breadth. And so I was a little shocked that I was only the second uh, woman at the company. But other than that, it was very, from a culture, again, and, like, job day-to-day perspective they set the expectations really well um and I mean I went in and I interviewed and it was the office was a and I did like quotations around that because it was a condo on King Street across from AT&T Park so it was like not a traditional office so my first interview was actually like at a coffee shop downstairs so that gave you a good idea like this is what I'm getting myself into how did you for such a small company how did you first hear about them um, there's this resource, I actually don't know if it's still around, I'm imagining it is, but it's called AngelList, mm-hmm. and it was essentially the LinkedIn for startups. Right. Um, so it basically just like source all these like very small companies and the, the roles that they needed. And so I was like perusing that um, as I was like looking for these, these roles, and I was still so just like struggling with how to tie my academic background to a job in technology, ideally in the product sphere. Right. Um, and found this like analyst role to be like like my in for lack of a better term, um, and like sent an email and like twenty minutes later, got a response from the to be the the man who was to be my manager. And so, in your job search, were you focused strictly on startups, or were you open to like if if Salesforce, for example, had a role, would you've gone there just as easily, or were you wanting that small startup? I was open to anything. I was kind of at that point where I was like, well, I just need to get experience. You know, like this is again my first role, so it's just like take any opportunity that feels relevant. Um, so I would have been open to anything, but it was much. I was pretty realistic about the fact that like if I was going to get in somewhere and get in in the capacity of like there's a trajectory for me to move into product management, like it was going to be at a smaller company. Um, and that turned out to be the case. I, I moved into product management like three months after I started. So, wow. Yeah. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think that we've done a good job of sort of 
going over like how you first got mm -hmm. into uh, your SAS graveyard, and you've you've started to cover a little bit about sort of your time there, but maybe can you talk me back to those early days when you, you know you had the shock of oh you're you were one of two women. Mm -hmm. Were there um, any other surprises that, that kind of that those first few weeks? Yeah, there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'll start with the shock of being one of two women, and that I think was it was really it was pretty heavy and like kind of uh, disconcerting when I walked in and I was just like, oh, this is mostly men um, from top to bottom. And I think like what it afforded me was because I had the respect, it, it you know, takes a, a while to gain credibility, but yeah. because I like gained the credibility and had the respect of like my superiors, um, it did put me in a good position to be able to kind of like try to put momentum behind like changing that. Um, and, you know, it's they those men like talked a lot about wanting to be better. Um, I think there was a lot of like genuine um, effort behind that, that mm. I was able to kind of like lead and, and put some headway behind and like get my, I guess, name for lack of a better term out there in that like fight. Um, but there was also sort of the flip side of just it's harder to do that. Right. Um, so there was a lot of excuse making. So it was a, I mean, being in a, being a woman in tech in general is, is a, a difficult thing no matter what company you're at. Do so. you have an immediate bond then with the other female there? We, I mean, no, <laughs> we were, she was, um, she was a data analyst. And so we had like some things in common and some like of similar background. She was much more like experienced on the sort of like true, um, analyst side versus like the statistics that I was in, but we just have completely different personalities and lifestyles and we're at different points in our career. I think she was like just 55. She was like super senior. She was just kind of like check in, check out. And I was like this, you know, young, like eager to do anything and everything kind of like nervous, anxious person. So we didn't not click, but she wasn't like, you know, one of my best pals. Right. So you talked a little bit about how that, you know, people expected you to work 14 hours a day and, you know, do everything just okay. to move the company forward. So did you, is that what you were doing? Were you working those 14 hour days or? Yeah. And I'll actually get back because I realized I didn't, um, touch on the second part of that question I want to because it's kind of funny. The other, like, the impression that I got after a few weeks that really shocked me was I, being a new person, didn't know that it would behoove me to Google my founders to kind of understand what they've been up to in the past. Okay. And once I did that about three weeks into it, um, actually, this is how it happened. My CEO just, like, did not show up to the office. And I was like, hey, guys, this person's been gone for, like, a week. Like, where is this, this person? And they were like... Oh yeah, he happens to be in federal prison for the next three months because he committed a white collar crime and was indicted like a few weeks ago. And yeah. you had interviewed with this person. Yes, I had interviewed with this person and worked with him for about two weeks, like very closely. And I was like pretty shocked and like learned my lesson real quickly. I'm just like, hey, just be a little bit more thorough in your research, Jess. Like, <laughs> wow, that that by the way, that's the first time we've ever heard of something like that on yeah. Tales from the Sass Graveyard. Yeah, first time, it was. Yeah. I mean, it, I I think there's some part of that that contributes to the graveyardness of the SaaS. Company. You embrace that, like work hard. Yeah, I did, and I I didn't get into tech expecting that that it was going to be any different. And I mm -hmm. definitely like I think on the one hand, like I just have a pretty strong work ethic and like am, am, don't mind like working hard to get things that need to get done done right. Um, obviously, there's boundaries you have to draw for yourself, but in general, that's my like approach to jobs. Um, and then 
to again this expectation of just like working for smaller companies sort of like the you know theory or the thesis out there is like you just there's so much to do and you have so few people to do it um and you kind of just can't be as bound by time and um title as you might be at a more like larger structured company um so i did and i wanted to like again grow into product management and so there was also that kind of incentive for me to like go above and beyond to prove that like that was something that i could handle that like so you, the, I see like there's an incentive to work hard because you wanted to learn. Were there other incentives to make you want to work that hard? Or is it just like, oh, I want to really grow my career? And Or was there also like, I really believe in what this company is yeah. doing? <laughs> no. <laughs> it was purely selfish. Of it wanting. was purely selfish. <laughs> um, and I think this is just, I think part of it was the naivete that I had at that point in time of just like, I, again, came from a completely different background. Like, I didn't really have a good handle on how to evaluate like companies and markets and like to look at somebody's funding history and somebody's um, arrest history and like understand from that and the space they're at and look at their competitors like what their potential opportunities are as a business or to like ask in the interview process like what their goals are is it IPO is it acquisition is it a number of other things right like those are not things that I actually like took in at the outset. Right. Um, I think obviously at this point in my career, I do those things, but I think I was just so like naive at that point that there was no additional like, I believe this company is going to get to this goal and that means this for me. And so that's why I'm like putting in these extra hours. You were just happy to get that first job in tech. and did... I was so happy. I was so happy. You're, you're happy. The company is growing. It sounds impressive to go from 15 to 125. Yeah. How fast did that happen? Um, it was really impressive and it happened over the course of, I actually don't, I mean, it, it felt quick, but it happened over the course of three years. Mm -hmm. um, so I think like gradually over that time, we hired pretty aggressively in engineering mostly um, and opened up an office in Portland. And then on the sales side, like the hired SDRs kind of as they, as they needed them. Um, so that was, I mean, we, honestly, the, the way that I felt it the most was in change in offices and office size. So like moving to bigger offices was like kind of how I could conceptually understand like and, and see tangibly the growth as a company. So you went from the King Street condo, King Street to... condo to a a medium size like a an office that we were about the same size of an office we were in together and then from there a like three-story office in um in soma and then they've downsized from there so <laughs> you were not there for the downsize. i was not there for the downsize but you know i think it was it, it's easy to see in like I think it brings it more to like salience when you're actually like, oh, we have we are growing so much that we have to like move physical spaces. And when you move three times in three years, like that's a lot of growth. Um, and the the company did receive a round when I was there, like a few months after I started. So I think like there was a lot of you know there was interest in what they were doing, and there's significant and valuable like data that they have. So I think they like their promise was definitely there. And was each office, I mean, not only bigger, was each office nicer as well? Yes, definitely. Definitely nicer. And we had, like, 
we got like office managers and like for the third office we hired somebody to design it like it was definitely like putting more investment not just in the the physical space but in like making it more um making it more comfortable for people to come to work every day right did perks increase along with this um just from like a food perspective (laughs) not from like a we didn't really have a lot of of cool perks like, I think my favorite perk was that we had an office in Portland and I could just, like, go up there whenever I wanted. And my I have, like, family up there. So it was that was the biggest perk. Well, one question about the hiring process. Did you feel during that, like, the hiring was making sense or was it just you're just grabbing bodies and putting them in and they didn't necessarily fit with the culture? Or how did you... Definitely the latter. And I think this is, like, a cultural thing, right? Like, culture starts from day one with the people that found the company. And I think you make conscious decisions um, and unconscious actions that signify how much you actually care about hiring for the culture of the company you want to build. Um, And this company did not so much give that a lot of thought. Um, So there was a lot, there was very high turnover. um, And there was this kind of explicit communication and then like implicit actions that made the employees feel pretty like, oh, I'm just a cog in a machine. And I think a lot of companies do a much better job at, um, even though technically we are, like making <laughs> us feel like we're not that way, right? How did the culture change, like shift over time? Like, was it always like you're a cog in the wheel or? Um, it wasn't so much at the beginning. Like I think it felt more familial at the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's just a, just a signal of how small it was and how, kind of like like-minded a lot of the people that worked there were and um as we grew we just had to hire for like different roles and hire quicker and so I think you just like you know it's and this area is so competitive and it's like you're that small your salary is not going to be able to compete with these other big companies like especially engineers and a lot of product managers have like a number of choices to choose from right um and so you just kind of hire like pretty much anybody that you can right within some level of like requirements Um, so it shifted pretty quickly, I think just because there was no like attention paid to that. And for me, it got the culture itself from like a, an employee perspective. So like the people I was working with got a lot better. So I like definitely found and established more like connections from a like friendship standpoint, from a like mentorship standpoint, um, from like just a learning and growing standpoint, like that all got better for me as like the company got bigger, um, but it, it got less, it, it also is kind of a relatively toxic culture. And so I think it was also very sort of like a, we're bonding together in this like experience. What was the toxic nature? Um, the toxicity around it was mostly driven by that, that sense that you were replaceable and that the company didn't care about you. And I know that that sounds really like soft and like emotional and like we need to create spaces for each other that are safe and comfortable but it was it was to the extreme where it was like you were like for example there was one period of time where our ceo came in and said like everybody has to like check in and check out and work 12 hour days otherwise like you're fired like stuff like that like so just this really like dictatorial environment just made it very like it was like people were scared basically um, to like make mistakes or disagree or anything like that. Were a lot of people fired during this time? A lot of people were fired. A lot of people quit. It was always very dramatic. It was never like, an, there were very few amicable partings. Um, I, th- 
a lot of it comes down to personalities. And so when you when you're at a you know smaller company, 150 is still pretty small, and you disagree vehemently with the CEO's direction, um, that CEO is gonna fire you. <laughs> now, on the one if hand, he believes in his direction. So the, uh, that does sound very toxic. But at the same time, you have this growth. Was there? Did you ever feel have feelings of excitement? Like, wow, I was on this 15 person company. Now we're mm-hmm. at 50. Now we're at 75. The, did you feel like, oh, wow, something's happening here in a positive way? There were times that I felt that way, um, but never for an extended period of time. Like, there were people that we would hire in that would come in at, you know, not these relatively high levels that I truly thought were just, like, talented and, like, had worked at companies and had the tracker record to prove that they could, like, take a company from point A to point B. Um, if given like the proper resources and support. And so there were times that I was like very like, oh, this is going to be great. Like the company feels like it's going in the right direction. I'm excited about this. Um, in addition to like being excited about my career trajectory here. And then, you know, inevitably, obviously, because if they're in the SAS graveyard, that would that would fall apart. And usually that was done by a like misalignment with with the the founders or the people at the top that had the power to kind of either change that person's mind and put set it in a different direction or get rid of that person. So they sort of bring someone in to do something and then and tell them then right. tell them no, you're mm-hmm. not doing it. That was a general vibe, yeah. There was there was no consistency in leadership basically, and so it was very difficult to believe in a vision if you're not being given that full vision. Like I'm I'm sure the CEO has like ideas about where he wanted to and wants to take the company, but if he wasn't communicating that effectively, even on a 14 person team, like that is just gonna be hard to to really feel good about a company when that's the case. Well it's interesting because we have, we have a scenario where you've had like multiple big step journeys in this from like the small office to all the way to like the hundred thirty person office. Yep. Um I guess you know let's go a little I guess from your percentage of time, which one did you, which office did you spend the most time in? Oh my gosh, I think it was the second one. Gotcha. So like right before, <laughs> like three story, it was a three story. Yeah. Office. So the condo was like pretty quick. I was only in that for a few months, so we moved to this um, mm. smaller office and then up to the the like three story loft space in Soma. Um, I think it was the second office that I spent a solid year in. Um, and then the third one, maybe a little less than a year, but yeah. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the vibe of when you came into work. Uh, yeah. To that um, that second office, they're like, "What was the vibe? Like, was there a lot of energy, or what? What was going on there? Like, what did you feel when you walked in there?" Uh, yeah, that's a good question, and it definitely like depended on the day, which I think signifies another like level of of toxicity of just like mm-hmm. the volatility of that environment was very. Um, it was very volatile. And so, like, there were times where you just, like, knew you were walking into something that was really negative. Um, and then there were times that you were walking into something where it was, like, things were exciting. You were mm-hmm. launching something, releasing something. You just closed around a funding. You just hired a new, you know, VP of XYZ. Like, it was definitely driven by, like, what was going on. And I think that, I think that's probably the way it is. I would assume that that's the way it is at smaller companies like in my current company that's larger like I every day is different but I come in knowing that like there's a certain amount of stability right Mm -hmm. like that did not exist at this small company so like when you have that few people and it's so uncertain like the the shifts and the changes just like the ripple effects are much are felt much more intensely and more quickly by the entire organization so it was definitely a um 
kind of uh, driven by the environment of the of the company at that point in time. And it could change day to day. It could change day to day. I would say it's more like week to week, but there were days where you would come in and like somebody would just get fired really dramatically and be asked to leave. And then like at the end of the day, it would be like, this person is no longer with us. Like, so there were days like that for sure. Um, and that was always a, a, a cause for drama. So what about at the, the third office? Did the company outgrow some of those challenges? Um, no, I don't think they did. Sorry. Uh, no, I don't think they did. I think the, on the one hand, the vibe of the office was a lot more positive. It was bigger. It was just like airier. It was in a cooler spot. Um, so I think there were like more positive feelings just emanating from the physical space for sure, which like you can definitely feel like that has an impact on your workforce. But the root of like the cultural issues and the leadership issues did, those aren't changed by the office space changing. So that was definitely still like prevalent. Um, maybe dampened for a little while while things were still like feeling new in the new office, but it was not gone for sure. Like those experiences were still very much present. Gotcha. Let's talk a little bit about you and your like kind of your achievements there. What's the thing you're most proud of that you're able to do there? Yeah, I think I think honestly, what I'm most proud of is just my my ability to actually like start in a specific role, move into another role, and then like excel enough in that role that I could leave to join another company, right? To like progress in my career. Um, so I think that like, that's definitely my biggest, what I'm most proud of out of coming out of that experience um, is more so again, like on the selfish side, like what, what I got out of it basically, or what I was able to make of it. Um, I mean, I like think since it was my first product management job, right? Like I delivered my first feature. I like made my first like business plan. I like gave my first like company-wide presentations. Like all of those firsts were very like monumental to me just because it was like the first time I was doing these things. Um, in retrospect, can I say that like, I'm proud of that feature that I delivered? Like absolutely not. But I think that that's good because it shows that like I've grown and, and learned since then. Yeah. When you look back at that time, do you have an overall positive or negative experience? Okay, so the further away I get from it, the more, like, rose-colored glasses I get, and the more I'm like, oh, nostalgia. Yeah. But then, like, I remember the actual, like, day-to-dayness of it, and I'm like, oh, God, that was that was really bad. Um, but I do, like, have, you know, my, my mentor I found at that company, so him and I are still very close. He, like, helps me still all of the time in my career. Um, he's more of, like, a sponsor at this point. So I have, like, positive takeaways from that place. Um, it wasn't, you know... 100% like horrible. Are there other colleagues that you still keep in touch with? There are actually a lot of my really close friends in the city. We worked together at this company. Um, and we actually often, or not often, we occasionally talk about like why it is we're all still so close. Like we've all moved on from this company, I will say. Um, and, and always in part of that conversation, we mention like, well, there is something about working together in a toxic environment that really like bonds you to people. Like there is this kind of like, we have to get through it together. Like you're experiencing these negative things. So am I like, we can at least be like supportive of each other in that environment. Yeah. But I think like makes you generate these connections that might be a little bit stronger. Um, but that being said, for my second company, I still stay in touch with a lot of those people as well. So it might just be... Maybe it's just it you. Might just be me. Yeah, it might just be you. Yeah. <laughs> I might just be a wonderful friend and generally amazing person to be around. We'll let our listeners decide about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
And I guess, you know, one of the, the interesting things about, you know, especially working a new job in tech or just starting a new company, usually you kind of believe in what the company's doing at that point. But usually there's a point when you realize, oh, this isn't going to be as sunshine, happy as I thought it was going to be, or uh, maybe there isn't a pot of gold at the end of this rainbow. I guess, was there a moment when you're at this company that you realized that? Yes, I think there were like two big moments when I realized that. And the first one was about, I want to say six months into my tenure at this company when kind of like the newly or wed honeymoon phase wore off for lack of a better term. So I was kind of like coming down off of the adrenaline of like starting a new job, starting a, a, a new role in product management. Um, and, you know, the, the changes in leadership that had happened over that period of time. And so just like coming down from all of that that had happened and just sort of being hit with reality really hard of just like, oh, this is, there was a period of time where I think for three months we did not like deliver, we didn't ship a single feature, didn't like deliver push to production like a single line of code. And so, I th and then like the response to that from a leadership perspective was one of like, not, um, was one of rage, right? Was not one of like, what's wrong and let's figure it out, but was one of just like, you know, anger essentially. And I think that's my first, was my first moment of just like, oh, this ship isn't being run very efficiently. Um, that's gonna be problematic. So I think that was the first one. And then the second one was interesting. I was reflecting on this um, the other day, trying to kind of like figure out when I made that realization. And it was actually when my significant other at the time, he was working for a startup and they were about the same size and the founders all like knew each other. It was very, it's tech, so it's like very incestuous, right? And his, that company that he was working for was like around the same like structure and they got this like insane, I think it was like $80 million round or something like that. And um, I just like, when that happened, I was like, oh, this is, this is mediocrity. Like <laughs> we're not, that's like not even anywhere near what we were shooting for. Like it, I just, it just kind of put in like very stark r right. realistic ways for me. Like, oh, this is we've never had these kinds of conversations at this company. Like, this is a different ballgame. How long had you been working there when that happened? That was, like, a year and a half into it. So we were, like, I want to say almost 100 people by that point. And, and when, the company was six years old. And when did you start thinking then, well, maybe we're not at that $80 million in funding yeah. level is this time for me to look at other things? <laughs> yeah. So that for me was a, a totally separate like conversation track. And I think again, like kind of going back to like the naivete of myself at this point in time. Um, but also the, like I was still at that point very much like if I'm going to move on from this place and I had always planned to, I guess I'll, I'll put it that way at that six month mark, that first mark that I talked about, that's when I was like, I'm not going to, I'm not here for the long haul. I'm not going like, to retire. I, exactly. This is not the end all be all for me. Um, but, but I do need to get more experience in order to like make this a really, a true like a jumping off point for me. Um, so that sort of second realization of just like, oh, we're like, I'm not even going to be able to like reap any of the benefits while I do that. Like, it's just going to be me getting through this for the next like X number of, of years or months it's going to take me in order to feel like I can actually go out there into the job market and find something that would be a true step up for me, that would afford me other opportunities, that is a better cultural fit, um, all of these sort of criteria that I had at that point. So really, it's like you're at that year and a half point, it, it's really very much for, sort of saying for myself, what do I need to get to so I can get 
my next role. Exactly. And what, so what do I need to accomplish to, yes. to get, um, to move on? Yes. And what, what, how long did that process take? That was, a, that was a very difficult process for me. Um, it was like weirdly emotional and also just, I didn't know how to do that because I had never had to do that before. So it was like this exercise of me learning to like trust my judgment and intuition and then also figure out how to interview as a product manager because I had never done that. I had interviewed initially as a product analyst. I didn't have to interview for that movement. I just like, they gave me that opportunity. So I was just like in this new, scary, like open market where people are just like, there's a lot of talented people. And then there's also a lot of people that just know how to talk about it really well. And so you just kind of like, I just felt always like not good enough or not ready enough. And so I kept kind of like pushing it off. And I would obviously talk to my mentor about these things. And then on top of that, like things would happen at the company that would be like, not, not like um, things that signified the business was was going to go to beyond the graveyard or beyond <laughs> mediocrity, um, but things like that signal that my pathway there might there might still be some good like learning that I can do there. Like your career was still growing. Exactly, um, and so it was just kind of a very tense. I would say for about eight months, it was just like a very stressful, emotional kind of like, when should I even consider this? How should I do this? How do I approach this, etc. Um, and then. I like made the jump. I, I don't think there was like one specific thing that happened that like sort of got me there. I think it just like felt like the right time. And once you made that decision, was it pretty quick to then transition out? Oh yeah, it was pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was actually, it's interesting. So I had like decided, all right, I'm going to start interviewing. And so I just, you know, went on LinkedIn, I got, I had a few recruiter emails, you know, I was like still new, so I was not as um, desirable as I am today, but the, so I had like set up two or three interviews with different companies, and the the first one that I actually had, which I was like, oh great, I'll use this as a practice, like this seems cool, but like I don't know a lot about it, that ended up being the job that I took, so (laughs) it was very, and I think that process only took like three weeks, Um, it was another small company, so it was like a quicker, I had a few rounds of interviews, but it was a quicker response rate when you got this other offer were you was there anything to be thinking like maybe I should actually stay or were you like um oh I was I was like way more than one foot out the door at that point like it was I think in co- it was a combination of me just being ready for a new challenge um the work environment being very saliently negative at that point especially for me um and I think it was probably those two things that made me just be like how did your other colleagues react to you leaving was anyone surprised or uh no uh nobody was surprised i had i was there for i mean my tenure there was a lot longer than a lot of other people um including the friends that i had had made i think i was like on the the tail end side of like that cohort of people that had had worked together that had bonded that actually left so i think it was it was often like a topic of conversation um, amongst a lot of people, just like, when are you leaving? What are you doing? Like it, you know, it was again the environment was one that wasn't conducive to like being there for a long time. Yeah. Got it. I have one more question for you, Jess. So let's say we have a time machine mm-hmm. and you go back to Jess right before she goes to that coffee shop for that product analyst interview. Yeah. What would you tell her? Uh, that's a great question. 
I think like I don't regret anything about my journey and like I'm very happy um, with where I've ended up and where I feel like my career is going so I definitely wouldn't like change the course of anything necessarily um, because like everything I've done from there to now has like gotten me to this point right um, so no regrets I think I would just I think I would tell her to do her research a little bit more, like to be a little bit more prepared. Like, again, I still, I think I would have taken that job, Mm -hmm. but I would have done a little bit more, I would have been less idealistic about it. That's great. Jess, thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks, Jane. Thank you. Anytime. Well, Jess was a great first guest for that episode. You know, I learned a lot that I didn't expect to kind of, you know, her first experience of just being in technology and really experiencing it from like very small to very big. So what were your, what what was the big takeaway you had from what she talked about? Yeah, no, I think the big thing, I think one of the big red flags that she called out was just like, it was very obvious the leadership at the company wasn't quite prepared uh, to really grow the company or really have a direction for where they want to go or really build the culture for success there. And I think that's my big takeaway is you really need leadership at your company to make sure you don't end up in the SaaS graveyard. And that's probably something everyone can really think about at where they're currently working and looking at the leadership. How about you? For me, the big takeaway was that after six months, she recognized that she was in a SaaS graveyard and then made the conscious choice to stay there for another two and a half years. And at first that sounds a little crazy, but when she explained how she was growing her skills and furthering her career, it makes a lot of sense. And so maybe at certain times in your life, it's okay to be at a SAS graveyard. Maybe it's even a better thing to be at a SAS graveyard than it is to be at one of these unicorns. Oh yeah. No, I can totally, I think that relates to this, the concept of, um, you learn a lot about what not to do at different places you work. And if you only work at places that are very successful, you're not doing all the learnings of stuff that, um, going on at not as great companies at that point. Right, I felt Jess could really talk about in her future companies that she knew what to look out for. Yeah, no, definitely. Although, yeah, that was her big takeaway as well, is that do some research. Yep. Um, so thanks for listening to our first episode. Uh, stay tuned for when we get the next one out. All right, thanks, everyone. <laughs>